Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to episode number 14. Today I'm joined by Trish Ferrer from Plants and Balance and we're talking all things naturopathic medicine. For those who don't know, Trish is a part-time microblogger on Instagram who shares all things health, wellness and lifestyle. She's also a third year naturopathic medical student at Bastia University in San Diego and in this episode we're discussing what naturopathic medicine is and why Trish chose it over conventional medicine the naturopathic approach to rebalancing female sex hormones, why we should all be moving away from diets and labels in the nutrition and wellness world, benefits of organic food versus non-organic food, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine and astrology, and also the negative effects of stress and how to manage it. I really enjoyed this podcast. Trish is such a character and she's so entertaining, especially on Instagram as well. She really resonates with her name, Plants and Balance, because she's all about eating a lot of plants and finding balance in your health journey too. So let's get into today's episode. Hi Trish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Why don't you start off by telling the audience a bit more about yourself and let us all know about naturopathic medicine, what it is and why you love it so much. Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Vivian. I'm so excited. We've talked about being on this podcast together for a while, and I'm really happy that the stars were able to align and that we can record today. Um, It's a beautiful day in San Diego. It's 12 p.m. I just got back from the market, so I'm feeling really good. So yeah, a little bit of an intro about me. My name's Trish. I am the human behind the Instagram Plants and Balance. Part-time, I do Instagram. I consider myself kind of like a micro blogger where I talk about all things lifestyle medicine, all things health and wellness, and kind of everything in between. But I also am a full-time third-year naturopathic medical student. And the best way for me to describe naturopathic medicine for somebody who may not know what it is It's that um, naturopathic medical school trains naturopathic medical students to be conventional in their thinking, but naturally focused. So we look at all of our patients kind of as a whole, like holistically in that sense. So not only do we consider... Um, the signs and symptoms of a particular disease process, but we also look at people in mind, body, spirit, mental, emotional components, your work, your stress, the food that you're eating, all the components that make you who you are is what naturopathic medicine is. So yeah, that's the best way that I can kind of describe naturopathic medicine for it to be um, easily digestible and people Mm -hmm. for people to understand. Yeah. Why did you choose naturopathic medicine over conventional medicine? 
Um, I, I feel like I have a very eclectic story with naturopathic medicine, but also at the same time, I feel that my story is also very similar to a lot of people who find naturopathic medicine. And that's really what it is. It's kind of like being able to find it and then it kind of sparks this interest and it fits. So um, basically, I grew up in conventional medicine. Most of the people in my family are either doctors, nurses, pharmacists. So I've always kind of been used to that setting. But at the same time, it's never been appealing to me. And I feel like I've always kind of been the person in my family who's the black sheep because I've always focused on food. I've never really enjoyed taking med medication. You know, I feel like I've considered myself kind of a very spiritual person and I'm not as analytical and as logical as other people. And so the way that I've always thought about medicine and health has always been a little bit different. And so when I was going down the path of applying to medical school, it just, it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it didn't feel right that that inspiration and the motivation and the excitement just wasn't there. And I knew that it didn't fit me. And I remember once I went to a conference and there was a natural medicine workshop and I was so curious about it. I was like, what is going on? Went to the workshop and it just fit. And so I was like, okay, there's something, there's something going here. And a few months later, I was stressed out of my mind. I was doing an internship. I was a full-time pre-med student. I basically wasn't eating at home because I was so on the go that I got, I developed um, adult onset eczema and it was really insidious. I remember I woke up and it was on my hand. A few weeks later, I woke up and it was on my face, on my chest, on my stomach, the top of my thigh. Eyes, and I went to my dermatologist and she wanted to give me steroids. And being a biological student, I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And so I started looking up just holistic health therapies, natural treatments, and I basically switched up my entire lifestyle. I started working out, eating organic foods, eating more plants than animal products, learning how to cope with different stress management techniques. And my eczema went away. It literally went away in eight weeks and I was like, okay, I, there's something going on here, right? Mm -hmm. There's something going on that's more than just getting shots and injections and prescription pads. And that's how I basically fell in love with naturopathic medicine. I was living a life that was naturopathic, but I didn't know that it was called naturopathic medicine. And so when there was an opportunity for me to go to an open house at Bastyr University, which is the best naturopathic medical school here in the States... I went for it and I was a little skeptical. I'm not going to lie just because, you know, there is a little bit of a stigma about natural medicine. Um, but yeah, I went to the event all day, met the students, got involved in the curriculum and fell in love. And I just haven't looked back since. Great. All the stars yeah. aligned. Yeah. It was one of those situations that I tell people all the time that the medicine really found me. Like I, you know, I yeah. was kind of like looking for a way out of conventional medicine and then like I tapped into this and then everything fit mm -hmm. perfectly. Yeah. 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 I feel <laughs> the same that. way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mentioned that in the UK, we don't have naturopathic doctors. It's not really a thing here. 
but mm. kind of the next best best thing is a naturopathic nutritional therapist in my idea which is what I trained in and yeah. before that I had no idea what it was I didn't know what naturopathy was I thought conventional medicine was the only way but right. is is it really common in America to be a naturopathic doctor or to undergo naturopathic training or is it just still the conventional approach to medicine that's the norm yeah um that's a great question so the conventional medicine is still the norm in terms of primary health care as of right now in the states there are only 24 states that have licensed naturopathic doctors but it's gaining speed i mean when i started naturopathic school three years ago there was only 16 or 17 and three years later we're up to 24 so there's a demand in naturopathic medicine because i think that there's a very interesting paradigm shift happening in people's minds especially in people in our generation and younger i think that people are starting to slowly understand that there are other options and if there is an option that's non-invasive clean, non-toxic, and that can kind of benefit me long-term instead of short-term, I would rather take that. But that doesn't mean that naturopathic medicine is here to replace conventional medicine. It's just an alternative. It's just an option for people. And I think that's where the confusion happens, right? I mean, if like I got into a car accident, Mm -hmm. obviously I wouldn't go see a naturopathic doctor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I think that there's a place for all forms of medicine, but when you have naturopathic medicine and conventional medicine working together in an integrative setting, that, that's where the magic really happens. Yeah, absolutely. We, we in the UK as well have the National Health Service, the NHS, yeah. and it's just an amazing thing to have. And again, surgeries, the operations, the transplants, the medicine, it's all absolutely incredible. But for some of these chronic lifestyle diseases, then that's where natural medicine really shines. Do you agree, agree. with that? Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> I did a segment actually on lifestyle medicine on my Instagram a few weeks ago, and there was a study that had come out in 2018 stating that over 85% of diseases, obviously, unless it's like genetic or you Mm -hmm. have like some kind of polymorphism when you're born, um, are all lifestyle related. And that's where natural medicine really shines because when you break down natural medicine, it's just how you're living your everyday life, your lifestyle, right? And so if you can modify your lifestyle just a little bit, all of those factors kind of just go away and then all the good things kind of come together, which Mm -hmm. is so beautiful. Yeah, what we do now is affecting our future health. It's not just when a, disease, when a disease appears, it's not just happening for no reason at all. It's because things have accumulated or deficiencies have started to occur. Right. You've been exposed to certain things in the environment. Yes. So do you think that chronic disease is on the increase? And if yes, what do you think is playing a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the chronic exposure definitely plays a huge factor in the development of some kind of fundamental disease, especially something like cancer, right? So it's I, I, I feel like the reason this is happening is because the public in general is not very empowered about their health. And it's 
it's not necessarily their fault. It's just kind of like the access to education, right? Like Mm -hmm. the access of education that we have in our fields is not the same that someone would get as like a lay person, you know what I mean? And so what can we do as practitioners to be able to inform the public properly so that they can empower themselves to take control of their health? Because yes, um, I feel like the chronic exposure definitely um, makes a difference, whether it's the environment that you're living in, the food that you're consuming, the people that you surround yourself with, the kind of work that you're doing, all of that stuff plays into the, the development of a fundamental disease and the chronic exposure over time especially the food and the environment for mm-hmm. sure yeah and I think that's what both mine and yours um goal is really is just to educate people and inspire people at the same time in what food we're eating how we're living our lives and how it can be pretty simple when we think about it to yes. reduce our risk of chronic disease and I know that we've touched on a few of the fundamental properties of naturopathic medicine. So looking at the body as a whole um, trying to address the root cause yeah. in as non-toxic and safe approach as possible. Are there any right. other principles of naturopathic medicine that they kind of, that's the rules and what they, the guidelines that they follow? Yeah. Um, naturopathic is naturopathic medicine is really special that way because it has a lot of untapped potential. So the different, uh, pillars of naturopathic medicine are kind of like learning about what you can use in your toolbox in order to supplement and optimize your health and well-being. So the stuff that's in the toolbox is obviously nutrition, right? So being able, and that just boils down to, Uh, things like being able to eat more plants than animal products and how to be conscious about the food that you're eating. It's okay to, you know, live your life once in a while, but just being conscious and mindful about the food. Another part of the toolbox is botanical medicine. So being able to use the resources that mother nature has readily available for you to be able to supplement that lifestyle. Um, Homeopathy is another big one as well. I know that there's actually a little bit of heat on homeopathy in the mm. UK, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> is it more is it more commonly used in the US? I I, I think that there is a little bit of heat here as well. Right. Um, but honestly, I just think that homeopathy is poorly understood and that okay. people don't understand it, which is why people hate on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, So another pillar that's in the toolbox for naturopathic medicine is physical medicine. So that is the intentional power of using touch to manipulate the body to respond really well. So we do a lot of um, work that chiropractors would do. Um, And then the last pillar that's part of naturopathic medicine is mind-body medicine. So that's using techniques like meditation, stress management, journaling, to be able to combat the physiological response of how you are with stress, right? Yeah. So those are all the different pillars in naturopathic medicine, which is why it's so great because it's so wide and you can kind of like pick and choose what you can use for yourself and what fits you the best. Yeah, exactly. And and are you also trained in kind of prescribing conventional medicine and everything that conventional doctors would learn, but you're learning all of this on top of that? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) So naturopathic uh, students 
get the same education as conventional medical students. Um, and we do have prescriptive rights, but based on our philosophy as a whole, um, the prescription is usually the last, the last yeah. resource, right? Yeah. Unless there was a situation that my patient obviously needed an antibiotic, like I would give it to them, yeah. you know, I, I, there are some naturopathic doctors who are very much against pharmaceuticals. But again, like I mentioned earlier, there's a place for it. You know, if my patient comes to me in a setting that they have an infection, I'm not going to give them an herb. I'm going to give yeah. them an antibiotic and then we can supplement with a botanical later. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This podcast is all focused on hormonal health. That's kind of why I love right. my kind of passion in this field. Yes. What approach would you set up or someone dealing with a hormonal imbalance? The conventional approach would be to maybe put someone on the birth control pill for the irregular cycles, mm -hmm. give them Roaccutane for acne, um, right. give them medicated shampoo for hair loss. What would be the naturopathic approach to something like that? Uh, so I feel like when it comes to female sex hormones, it's very delicate. It's very delicate and it's a lot more intricate than how people, than what people think it is. It's kind of like a dance, you know? And, um, I think the best way to address female sex hormones is primarily through diet. Mm. Number one. Yeah. And what I mean by diet is things that we've already covered, you know, make sure you're not having an excessive amount of additive sugars, stay away or avoid junk food or processed foods as much as possible. I think that when we can address the diet and female sex hormones first, that's where everything else comes in. The exercise component, you can do botanicals after you've addressed that as well. Um, but I think that the diet is going to be the primary thing to address female sex hormones and get it to a state where it can regulate. That way you can combat acne, you can combat sleep, hair loss, weight loss, weight gain, um, PMS, everything that has anything to do with the female body. <laughs> and I think pe people are aware of what a healthy diet is, but yeah. they sometimes just turn to, like you said, the supplements or the exercise, they really go to town on that, but then they kind of neglect the diet a little bit. When we're talking about a healthy diet, lots of plants, not a lot of animal protein, but you can if you wanted to. What other approaches and what's kind of your ethos when it comes to diet and an optimal diet? Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not really big into labels. So I don't really believe in things like a vegan diet, a keto diet, a paleo diet unless you have developed or you genetically have a fundamental disease like cancer, that's the only time that I would stick to a particular diet that would work for that particular disease. However, overall, if you're just trying to optimize your state of health, wellness, and well-being, and to try to regulate your 
like everything that's going on in your body. Um, definitely more plants. If you choose to have an animal product, sourcing is going to be really important. Make sure you're having foods that are mostly organic. Um, when it comes to animal products, grass-fed is going to be a really big one. Try to stay away from pork is that's another one too and it really depends constitutionally some people do really well with meat and some people don't i would experiment with that and see what works best for you what works for me is not going to work for you and vice versa right yeah um, i would definitely if you were to ask me on how i would do it i would definitely incorporate lots of prebiotic and probiotic foods. So when I say prebiotic foods, that's kind of foods that lay the groundwork to feed the good and healthy bacteria in your gut. So things like cruciferous veggies, apples, and then I would eat probiotic foods. So that's usually foods that are fermented. So like kimchi, sauerkraut, yogurts, um, that would be a good one to have as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Oh, and no, if you can stay away from dairy, that would be great too. <laughs> and for what reason would you say that that's important? Um, the quality control of dairy is really iffy. It, I don't know. It might be better in the UK, but here in the States, mm, it's not that great. Not really. <laughs> okay, yeah. So here in the States, it's not that great. It's highly, highly, highly inflammatory. Um, it's just so interesting, Vivian. It's like all of my patients who have gut issues, hormonal issues, acne issues. It's so interesting because I tell them to get off of dairy and in two weeks, they're skin yeah. clean. So. It's so <laughs> interesting. It's like once you get rid of the dairy, everything kind of just comes together. So basically, um, the active component in dairy is called casein and it's literally a casomorphine. So what it does is that it's a very... It, it binds to the receptors in your brain that make it very addictive. And mm -hmm. then it messes up with your gut bacteria. It can cause leaky gut. So things don't stay in and digest properly. It basically just messes up all of your enzymes. So if you can avoid it as much as you can, fine. If you want to have a little bit of it, that's totally okay too. Yeah. Cheese addiction is real. <laughs> it really is yeah. real. I mean, yeah. listen, like I'm not innocent. Like I will have cheese once in a while, but that's about it. Because the argument when it comes to dairy is really, there really isn't any nutritional content to it. It's just fucking delicious. <laughs> like, I don't know why we can't admit that. It's just delicious. That's why people love it so much. Yeah. It's creamy. It's fatty. It, it just indulges you in a way that nothing else can. And that's it. But it's not nutritious. Like, let's just admit it. What about the calcium? No. <laughs> you can get your calcium from plants. <laughs> I was just testing you there. <laughs> yeah, I, I see you. I see you. I see you. And you mentioned about organic food being really important. You've just come back from the farmer's market, yeah. stocked up on all your organic produce. Why yes. is it so important that we focus on organic food? If you can afford to buy organic food, I would highly recommend it. The thing about food that's conventionally grown is that the bioavailability of the nutrients is just not in the plants because the plants get heavily sprayed with insecticides and pesticides. And with that, you're, they are literally sucking up all of that, diminishing the nutrients. So it's kind of like, what's the point of having 
you know, strawberries in season if they're not high in their nutrition, right? Like what's the point of even having a kale salad when there's nothing to benefit from it. So if you can get organic produce and if you can afford it, I would highly recommend doing so. Yeah. And people sometimes make the argument that, oh, organic food just has the same amount of vitamins and minerals. They have the same kind of uh, micronutrients, but it's not the micronutrients, it's the antioxidants that are the things that make the organic produce uh, more beneficial plus you're not getting the pesticide exposure as well it's those two different factors that are really important yes it's the constituents of the plants right like that's the beauty of of plant food is that it's just so much more than the micro and the macro right yeah Um, Yeah. for someone who can't afford all organic everything is there anything that they can prioritize or is there anything they can do to Um, combat the negative effects of the pesticides? Yes, absolutely. Well, I don't know about combating the effects, but there's an incredible resource by the Environmental Working Group. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's the Dirty and the Clean 15. Mm -hmm. So it's recently been updated. If you have a difficult time paying for produce that's organic, because let's be real, it is a little bit more expensive than conventionally grown produce. Stick to that chart that the environmental working group has, Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen. So the Dirty Dozen, that's the stuff that you for sure like need to stay away from. And then the Clean 15 is stuff that you don't have to get organic, but highly recommend doing so. Yeah, and I think the lists are created from US, like farms and crops, but I think it's going to be pretty similar in what's highly sprayed in the UK as well. So for anyone who's wondering, is it the same kind of list in the UK? I think it probably is. It's usually the top offenders are going to be like strawberries, spinach, kale, I think is in the top three this year. So all of these people, they're all obsessed with kale, but are they eating (laughs) pesticide laden kale or are they eating the the real stuff? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, environmental working group, clean 15 or dirty dozen is going to be a great resource for anybody who is considering organic produce and what they can and don't have to buy. So yeah. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes as well for anyone who's not sure um, where they can find that when you mentioned about eating a lot of plants prebiotics probiotics and getting all these like cruciferous vegetables into our diet what would you what would you say to someone who doesn't tolerate them so they have maybe chronic digestive issues ibs and they feel worse with more fiber more of these um, plant compounds what would you do in that that situation Um, so, okay. If somebody has a digestion issue, whether it's IBS, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, there's just so many different forms of those types of fundamental diseases. If there's a way that they could try and find a naturopathic doctor in the area to be able to find the root cause, because Specifically with IBS, there are so many different forms of IBS. You have like IBS diarrhea, IBS constipation, IBS mixed. Um, To be able to figure out what the root cause of your particular digestive disorder is always going to be the first step to doing so. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Does that answer the question? Yeah, so with (laughs) IBS constipation, some people may tolerate fiber and it may be beneficial for them. Whereas if they have 
maybe a bacterial overgrowth or diarrhea, that extra fiber could be a bit aggravating. So definitely we can't just give a general recommendation here on this podcast. It is Mm -hmm. about someone going to see a practitioner and working with them to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, Yeah. Someone who can help them put a personalized protocol and nutrition plan together to support their symptoms. Exactly. 100%. We mentioned about the different diet labels, so keto, vegan, all of these different things. You're not a fan, but what would you say to all of these people who are really promoting these things and there's kind of these cults and different um, arguments, which one's more beneficial or not? Why is it that you're so against labels and people following certain diets? I know that you're not really against it, but why are you not a fan of it? I, I feel like when you are on a particular diet, it kind of perpetuates the cycle of restrictive eating, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, I mean, because let's be real, right? I mean, that's what it is. You know, if you consider yourself a vegan and while I think veganism is beautiful, I think with their entire mission and what they're doing with the animals and like ethical agriculture, while that is beautiful, it's still a restrictive form of eating. So you are not getting the entire spectrum of micro and macronutrients in your diet. And then all of the bioavailability, you know, it can lead lead to so many different gut issues, eating disorders. That's why I always say that I don't really believe in diets unless you have some kind of disease process that could help with that. I don't, I I feel like it, when you're on a uh, labeled diet and you, you are in this pattern of restrictive eating, it doesn't really perpetuate a good relationship with food, therefore not perpetuating a good relationship with yourself and the act of mindful eating, right? You're just kind of eating because you have to, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I know that you mentioned about dairy, trying to limit that as much as possible. Right. Is there any other food groups? What about gluten? Is that something that you recommend everyone avoids? Or again, is it, is it individual with that too? Gluten is really individual. Uh, for me personally, I feel like I have a little bit of a gluten sensitivity that I've actually developed. However, I know other people, like one of my best friends is um, European and she tolerates gluten really, really well. Like she eats bread and pasta like most days of the week and she's totally okay with it. I feel like the gluten intolerance and gluten sensitivities or perhaps celiac is something um, that's very personal and individualized and that all depends on like your constitution the culture you grew up with your heritage etc etc and so forth like since I'm Filipino I tolerate rice really really well but I do know other people who can't have rice so it's, it's just one of those situations where there are other factors involved like your culture and your constitution and genetics too yeah, I think there's a big difference between the wheat in the US and the in yes. Europe as well Um, Would you say that's mainly due to like the glyphosate that's used Mm. in the US? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Is that a rabbit hole you want to go down? Why is the US so (laughs) shitty at the food access and quality? I don't understand. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, It's really, oh man, it's just, 
that's the shittiest part about living in a westernized country like the states you know because of supply and demand a lot of these you know companies cut make shortcuts when it comes to food and so it's really really difficult to trust the wheat in this country which is why celiacs is on a rise Mm -hmm. gluten sensitivity and intolerance is also on the rise as well yeah what are some signs and symptoms that you may have a gluten sensitivity Oh, uh, brain fog is going to be a really big one and fatigue. And I'm not talking like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm not talking that fatigue. Like I'm talking about like fatigue. I can't even get out of bed to go to the kitchen and get a glass of water fatigue. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's going to be a really big one. Um, you will definitely have some kind of digestive issues. It can be in the form of diarrhea or constipation, but the fatigue and the brain fog is going to be the biggest ones. I love that you mentioned those two first, like the neurological um, symptoms, because people usually just think, oh, if I don't have immediate diarrhea after eating bread, then I'm fine with gluten. I can have it every meal. But I don't think the neurological, the brain fog, the tingling in the the hands and feet, those types of nerve nerve symptoms as well can be big, big symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know so much. (laughs) research. in terms of the cultural and the kind of ancestral approach to nutrition you mentioned that you're um from asian descent how does that impact the foods that we should eat is it really important should we be focusing on the foods that our ancestors ate or do you think we've modified and adapted enough as humans to be able to tolerate different foods from different cultures? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, yeah. Um, I think humans are excellent at being able to adapt to their environment. We're very, very skilled with that. But I'm also a firm believer in Ayurvedic medicine. And Ayurvedic Mm -hmm. medicine specifically states that I mean, one of its philosophies is that you need to adhere to like who you are at the core, right? Like for me specifically, I, and I can only speak for myself, like I can't speak for other people. Like since I'm Filipino, when I eat Asian food, I always feel my best. And when I eat foods that are maybe a little bit creamier, a little bit more dense, maybe a little bit thicker, Um, I don't feel as good, but that doesn't mean it's not as delicious, but I think that there is a component that our bodies are able to adapt to the environment that we're in, but we can also thrive from where we come from. Do you learn about, are you educated about Ayurveda at your school as well? We talk a little bit, uh, at Bastyr specifically, we do talk a little bit about Ayurvedic medicine. However, um, Ayurvedic medicine is not so much of a focus in it. It's more of like a supplemental kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, but I think it's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I've been getting more into it recently and the different Mm -hmm. doshas and things like that. But for those who aren't really sure what we're talking about right now, can you just give them like a brief overview of what Ayurveda is? Yes. So Ayurvedic medicine is one of the oldest forms of traditional medicine ever. Um, And they talk a lot about constitution, like what someone's constitution is. And what that means is like who someone is at their core, right? Their constitution, who they are. And so there are three different doshas. You have 
pitta, kapha, and vata. And each of those different doshas will kind of determine who you are, what foods are good for you, how you are in a social setting, the relationships that you're in. I can't go into detail about the different doshas, um, but that's kind of just like the overall picture of what Ayurvedic medicine is, which I think is really cool because you can learn so much about what fits your lifestyle just based on who you are as a person. You know, it's, it's not a, it goes back to the whole idea of not one size fits all, you know, and that's why I love naturopathic medicine and I love traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine because that's the philosophy. That's the overarching theme. Mm. And what about Chinese medicine? How does that, is that kind of a similar thing or do they have different um, philosophies in the kind of medicine? So again, I can't speak too much into TCM because I'm not a TCM practitioner. But yeah, it's it's very similar in the sense that um, it's a very old, very old form of traditional medicine, you know. And this is the way that people have been practicing before medicine was even industrialized into making penicillin and all of this stuff. Um, but it's very similar in the fact that there is like a constitutional portion to it. They do a lot of like tongue diagnosis. They focus a lot on meridians, lymph nodes, food. There is there's even a component of of the year that you were born. So there's like a horoscope component to it, which is so mm. cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. And yeah, I've just yeah. been getting into astrology as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So interesting. It's really but, cool. You know, I, know. And like, I tell people all the time, you know, maybe this, this stuff is a little woo woo and you know, there isn't anything to it, but if you believe in it, mm. that's really what's most important. Exactly. Do you believe yeah. in astrology? Uh, yes, I yeah. do. <laughs> I do. You know, I'm really into the whole birth chart thing. Yeah. I went, The first time I heard about it was three years ago, and I was like, oh, man, this is just a bunch of horse shit. But then when I did my birth chart, I was like, oh, man, this is why so me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> what, yeah, what, so, stars are you? what stars are you? So I am uh, a Capricorn, Virgo, Capricorn. So sun, Capricorn, uh, moon, Virgo, and rising Capricorn. So I am truly an earth sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. Virgo, yeah. Um, Aries, Libra. Okay. Lover, <laughs> sensitive, go with the flow, okay. very loyal, but also very stubborn. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Possibly. You're like, that sounds like me. Right? Yeah. Like me. <laughs> yeah, definitely need to go into more of the different signs and the planets and all of that because it can be a little bit confusing. And it a is. I'm, I'm of, learning yeah. all about it too, you know, but it's really cool. I feel like it's a really unique tool to get to know yourself as well and maybe get to know different things about you that you may not like and work on accepting it. Yeah, definitely. And I know yeah. that we're talking about all of these different things like the Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, um, horoscopes, astrology, all of these things. If someone's mm -hmm. listening now and they're like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm new to all of this. I'm not even eating a healthy diet yet. Where <laughs> do I start? What would be your advice? So my advice to starting off on like a, like a healthy Health. lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest advice would be to take it slow. 
honestly, like, don't jump into it, you know, start by doing an extra, start by drinking an extra cup of water, start by having that one extra serving of green vegetables, start by going on a walk for 20 minutes with your favorite album or your favorite podcast, do it slow, really develop a relationship with yourself that you can find the most meaning and the most outcome. When I see a lot of my patients, they come in with like a plethora of things to do, Mm -hmm. but they have a hard time doing it. And the reason being is because the task is too large. Once you can simplify what you feel like you need to do, that's where it's going to happen. So start small, you know, make an effort to laugh more, you know, make an effort to meditate literally for three minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Start small, develop that relationship. Once you develop that relationship, everything else will kind of flow on its own. And there's so much information these days. It's kind of good that we've got the internet and Instagram and blogs for all of this this information. But again, that can be too overwhelming and they can get lost in conflicting advice. And like we're mentioning the different diet camps, where do you recommend that someone gets advice from? I'm happy you said that because I was going to mention this as well. I think that part of a part of living this quote, quote, healthy lifestyle is so much more than just the food that you eat, right? And how much exercise that you're getting, but it's about the consumption of media as well. And like the people that you surround yourself with too. And so, um, I think that it's really important to think about the media that you're trying to consume. Um, so make sure that you are getting advice from, people who know what they're doing, people who are licensed practitioners. Um, and you can tell, right? Like when, when you're online and you're reading stuff online, whether it's from like a blogger, an influencer, a doctor, a podcaster, whatever, you can tell if someone's bullshitting or not. Hmm. And that's the stuff that you need to be able to filter because that kind of stuff plants seeds in your brain to form opinions about different things that are going on in your life. So if you can filter that and get really good consumption on media, that's how you can incorporate a really strong foundation in your lifestyle. Yeah, that's great advice. And yeah, that in itself is stressful and you're trying to find answers for yourself and do research, sure. but it could be sure. detrimental to your health at the same time. Yes. So I do want to continue the talk on stress. How, how much does stress impact our life and our health? And what are some of your favorite kind of tools and remedies to counter that? Um, In naturopathic medicine, we firmly believe that stress is a killer. If you boil down what stress is, it can trigger a lot of autoimmune components. It can trigger a lot of disease process. And the reason being is because it triggers inflammation. Once your body is in an inflammatory state, you are immediately in fight or flight mode. And so that diverts blood that's supposed to be working in your body to have good neurological function, good digestive function, good cardiac function. It diverts all of that blood to go into your extremities, your hands and feet, so that you can run away from whatever is stressing you out, 
right? So one of my favorite tools for stress management, it's so cliche, but it's so true, is the act of mindfulness and meditation. I know it sounds like a crock of bullshit, but it actually really works. <laughs> If you can trigger your body to be in a parasympathetic state or rest and relax, that's where you're going to see really good results. Once you can kind of notice the stress, because I mean, here's the thing. It's like everybody has some form of generalized anxiety or stress. Like right now, you know, as we're, we're doing this podcast, like I have a little bit of generalized anxiety about starting school tomorrow, but I'm not going to let my generalized anxiety put me in a state that I'm going to freak out over it because that's not going to serve me in the most positive and purposeful, purposeful manner. Hmm. So if you're feeling stressed, my favorite thing to do in the entire world is to go outside for 20 minutes. Leave your phone, whatever, laptop, wherever you are, just leave it. Go outside for 20 minutes, breathe, take in the sun if there's sun where you are. And if there happens to be a patch of grass or some kind of nature in this outside space, take off your shoes and put your feet in the grass. 20 minutes, that's all you need breathe, be one with nature. And I promise you that you will feel grounded in 20 minutes. And yep. if I, if, if I'm wrong, you can come yell at me. But it, works. <laughs> it works, you guys. It does. And people have probably had the experience of going to the beach. And yes. as soon as they put their feet on the sand, they're instantly relaxed. Right. And just getting that I mean, sea breeze. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it crazy? It's like, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's the simple act of even driving to the beach. The minute you see the beach and you smell the air, you're immediately happy, mm -hmm. right? Or it's just like getting a hug from someone that you love. You immediately feel better, right? So it's little things, it's little mindful and meditative practices like that that's really going to ground you in a state of stress. And some people think that when they go to the beach, the reason that they feel so relaxed is because they're away from work and because they've uh, like left the office, things like that. But it's actually the kind of, is it positive ions that are in the ocean and in the sand? And yeah, it's is, the negative ions. Yeah. Is that like scientifically proven? Are there, is, is there research on grounding? And yes, there's actually a ton of research about the electromagnetic fields of um, the earth being able to combine with our body to kind of bring it back into motion. Because when you really, br I mean, this is a little philosophical, but like if you break human beings down to its components, we're literally made of atoms, hmm. literally. Mm -hmm. So that's why when people are stressed and stuff, they go out into nature and they immediately feel better because they reconnect with earth and that electromagnetic field that we have and that mother nature has to be like one with each other. And a little woo-woo, but I think no, it's No, no, really I love it. <laughs> I love all the woo-woo, don't worry. Yes, I love, we love the woo-woo. <laughs> I was listening to, I don't know if you've been watching the Broken Brain documentary, um by Dr. Mark I've heard about yeah. it. It's, is it so still good. going on? Yeah, I think it's day four. Okay. Uh, so it's I on for, so. Yeah. And today's episode was all about the heart to brain connection. So the last time he did the series, it was a lot of talk about the gut brain connection, which is obviously oh everyone knows about that now. But right. he was talking about the heart brain connection and how that is just important. There's the 
there's more signals coming from the brain to the heart than the other way around and yeah. just the power of love and um, gratitude he was yes. talking all about that and I th- just find it so fascinating yes absolutely it's it's really interesting because the body is just a lot more complex than we think that it is even people who are experts in this field don't still really don't understand the interconnectedness of the human body and the different organs and the brain it's it's truly so special, which is why we need to be able to take care of ourselves. We literally have this one house that we live in. And so we better take good care of it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Agree with that one. Yeah. <laughs> and when we were talking about stress as well, if someone's thinking, I'm not stressed, I, my job's fine, my family life is fine, what are the other, the other forms of stress that we can be experiencing? Because stress isn't just psychological, is it? It's not just mental stress. It's not just worry and anxiety. There's physical stressors, chemical, um, kind of environmental stressors. What are some of the biggest factors that you see frequently? Mm, That's a really good question. I, so in my personal experience with seeing patients, when when patients tell me that they're not stressed is actually when they're pretty stressed okay <laughs> i in in my personal experience when patients have told me that they're not stressed it's not necessarily because they're not experiencing the stress but rather it's kind of avoiding it, there is like a mental emotional block and a lack of a mind body connection to be able to feel the stress and acknowledge it. It's kind of just like hiding behind your emotions type situation. Okay. So you do yeah. see that the psychological stress is the biggest that you come across. Yes. I, I, I'm a firm believer that the mental emotional component of stress is really the driving force of what's going on with someone because I mean right like think about it if you're if you're in a toxic relationship or perhaps you are in a job that you hate or maybe you're I don't know not in love with your what whatever it is right the moment that you remove that obstacle things just automatically get better right mm-hmm. yeah that's just been my personal experience though as a um, student clinician Mm-hmm. yeah and what would you say is the biggest takeaway advice that you can give to someone so maybe summarizing everything that we've spoken about I know that we've given the advice for someone who's just started out on the health journey but let's say for someone who's already eating healthy exercising taking the supplements what advice would you want to give that person what advice would I give to somebody who's already doing it right? Yeah. <laughs> but is, is still struggling with health issues. Let's say that one. Who thinks okay. that they're doing everything right. Let's see. If you're somebody who is doing everything right, quote, quote, yeah. by the book, yeah. but you're still suffering from health issues, I think my biggest advice that I would give for that would be 
to stop what you're doing and reevaluate what's going on. Because if you if you are quote quote doing everything by the book and doing everything right, but you aren't seeing the physiological, biochemical, emotional, and mental, spiritual, and positive changes in your lifestyle, there's a link missing, and that needs to be reevaluated. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad. It doesn't necessarily also mean that it's going to be good. I think that being able to be honest with yourself is going to be the biggest factor in reevaluating your lifestyle to see what's going on. Yeah, that's a great answer because they could just be taking what they've read on someone's blog or what they've read in a magazine, just implementing that into the self. And even though it is a quote healthy diet, um, it just may not be right for their body and exactly. yeah, exactly. they could be missing something important like the mental emotions spiritual aspect of things as well yeah. they could be thinking that they're doing everything right but they're actually missing mm-hmm. something crucial yes absolutely absolutely great so I want to wrap up with a few questions to get to know you a little bit better because you're such okay, a great character. Great. And you know, I love, I love yeah, personal questions. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I got these in. And the first one is, what is your morning routine? Because probably like me, you're obsessed with morning routines and yeah. just kind of preparing yourself for the day because we're living this modern, stressful lifestyle. What do you do yeah. every single day to help you get into that right frame of mind? So my morning routine is absolutely sacred to me. Um, I factor in a morning routine every morning because it really kickstarts my mental health and kind of how I want the day to go. I have found that if I don't adhere to my morning routine, my day just isn't as good. It's still good, but it's not as good as if I didn't, as if I had a morning routine. So um, I will usually wake up well, I mean, not, not usually. I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Some days. I usually wake up. <laughs> no, right? no. So I wake up and I will immediately have a glass of, again, this is so cliche, but yeah. I mean, here's, yeah. Lemon water? Yes. I will have lemon water. Sometimes I will add a little bit of apple cider vinegar and honey in it, just depending on my mood. But mm-hmm. I will usually always have lukewarm water with lemon every single morning. And the reason that I do that is because when you're asleep, your body does a lot of work, man. Like it's when you're asleep, you're basically pressing the reset button in your body. There's a lot of digestion going on. There's a lot of sweating. You're sloughing off dead dead skin cells. There's a lot of cell turnover. Your organs are doing all the work that it needs to do to prepare you for the next day. Mm -hmm. So when you wake up, you want to be able to rehydrate your body and realkalinize your body. That way you can kickstart your metabolism and get it ready to go and wake up. Um, And then after that, I will usually have my cup of coffee. Um, I know that coffee has been demonized over the years, but to be honest, if you're really mindful about the caffeine intake that you're taking, it can be very beneficial for you. There's a lot of antioxidants in coffee, and depending on how sensitive you are to coffee will just depend on how much that you can drink. But personally for me, I will have my lemon water in the morning, and then I will have my cup of coffee, but never coffee after like 2 p.m. 
And then after that, that's, I, I will usually meditate depending on the day. So over the weekend, I will spend about like 20 minutes meditating, but during the week, it'll be about five to seven minutes because I go to school in the morning. Um, so I will just spend a few minutes meditating over that and yeah. And then if I have time, I usually do some tarot, tarot cards, and then I do a lot of like self-affirmation in my meditations as well. If I have the extra few minutes during the week, I will make the time to self-affirmate in my journal, which is always really great if you have a written expression. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's really about it. So basically every morning, lemon water, coffee, practice gratitude via meditation and self-affirmation statements and tarot cards and Palo Santo. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty yeah. similar to mine apart from my yeah. morning drink is a matcha because I just do not do well with coffee. It's yes, I love matcha yeah. too. It's so delicious. Good. And what's yes. one of your, if you're willing to share, what's one of your go-to affirmations? Just being curious. Yeah. Uh, oh, one of my go-tos. So the one that I've been saying a lot recently, I would say within the last like two to three weeks is I let go of fear and invite excitement and fun. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I've never yeah. heard anything like that before. It's always like yeah. I'm strong and powerful, but I love yeah. the kind of calm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been going through some personal things the last month or so. Um, I've had some pretty intense changes in my personal life and it's very scary right now, you know? And so once I remind myself that I am not struggling alone and that this is just a part of life and journey and evolving in love and life, um, it's not as scary anymore. So I let go of all fears and invite excitement and fun into my life oh that's so good love that one and thanks for sharing that as well of course second question would be if there was one supplement herb or nutrient that you just cannot live without what would that be i'll give you a lot of question (laughs) one sub oh okay actually this is really easy um i would definitely say if uh, you or your audience has not incorporated mushrooms mm, into your yeah. daily life to please do so. <laughs> yes. For what reason? Um, well, mushrooms one have been around since the dawn of time, you know, they have withstood so many things and they, mushrooms are a form of really ancient medicine. And depending on the type of mushroom that you like to consume will kind of depend on the different properties. You can have mushrooms that really reinforce anti-aging, that reinforce a healthy immune system, that help with balancing hormones. Um, my personal Personal favorite blend of mushrooms that I have every day is lion's mane, which is really good for neuronal function, memory, decreasing in brain fog. Another favorite that I have every day is cordyceps, which is really amazing for stable energy. So if you are a coffee drinker, add a teaspoon of cordyceps in it and your caffeine uh, release will be a lot slower than normal. Um, Another mushroom that I love to incorporate is chaga, which is also really great for immunity and anti-aging as well, or just like regenerative medicine, Mm -hmm. just in general. So if you or your audience has not incorporated medicinal mushrooms, that's the way to go. I would say that that's something that I can't live without. 
Yeah, I agree. I definitely have incorporated them, but I feel like they're not mainstream yet. They're getting there with like the mushroom coffees, the four sigmatic. Yeah. They're really easy yeah. to implement. But mm-hmm. even if someone starts with dietary mushrooms, would you say that that's a good place to start? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, if I, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Shiitakes, um, just button mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we have evolved as humans with mushrooms haven't we like the bacteria the mushrooms are all kind of one in nature so absolutely love that one yes absolutely and final question is where can people find you online um so the primary place that you can find me online is through instagram at plants and balance um and uh yeah you can stalk me there you can send me an email and a dm i'm pretty active online and uh yeah i definitely recommend that everyone follows you you're so entertaining (laughs) i always learn so much from you as well and you you definitely resonate with your name plants and balance you're all about eating lots of plant foods nutrient-dense diet, antioxidants, you've spoken about that, but also the balance. I think that's what makes you a little bit different to most kind of influencers and bloggers and naturopathic doctors online. They're all kind of in these different camps, whereas you take a more holistic approach and really get back to that naturopathic aspect and everyone's different. We shouldn't be focusing on labels, just stick with natural whole real foods and everything should be good. So I I love that about you and I feel like everyone will be straight on Instagram hitting that button. I really appreciate that, you know, it's I it's just health can health and wellness in general can be can feel very exclusive, you know, and I'm and I'm all about keeping things as simple as possible you know, that way it's like everyone can benefit from that. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast as well and spending your Sunday afternoon with me before you get back to a busy term ahead at your school. Thank you so much, Vivian. I appreciate it. I hope that everyone had a lovely time listening to us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at Viva Natural Health for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.